You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. You know, in the world of economic development, there's kind of two schools of thought. Some people think that government really shouldn't be involved because, and, and, and their fallback is usually you're, you're picking winners and losers. The other side of that coin is this. What is it competitive nowadays? And in the world of economic development, I don't know that there is anything that's as fiercely competitive uh, with regards to finding ways to improve your economy for the betterment of the people that you serve. I, I just don't know if there's a more competitive space right now because everybody's after. And in North Dakota, we have this incredible department called the North Dakota Department of Commerce. And I just want to read, you know, their kind of their mission, if you will. North Dakota Department of Commerce works to improve the quality of life for North Dakota citizens by leading efforts to attract, retain, and expand wealth. Commerce serves businesses and communities statewide through committed people and partners who offer valuable programs and dynamic services. I could almost stop right there because that, that's exactly what this is all about, right? Commerce assists our citizens to live, work, and do business and play in North Dakota. So it's a great pleasure for me today to have two people from that department. One, the Commerce Commissioner, and the other is the Director of Economic Development and Finance, the role that the current commissioner used to have, by the way. Josh and Rich, Josh Tigan and Rich Garman, welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? I'll start with you, Josh. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again, Mike. It's always fun doing this. So looking forward to another another chance at it. Likewise, we had a technical issue the last time we did this. And before we started recording, I had to make comment about the incredible taste that Josh and his wife have in decorating their home. It's almost similar to my taste, but they have really, really good taste, by the way. And Rich, how are you doing? And you're not home today. I am not home today, Mike. I am in Washington, D.C., trying to attract some uh, some companies to the great state of North Dakota. Uh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak about some of the things we got going on in North Dakota. Uh, my decorating skills aren't quite up to par with you, so I'm going to have to take some notes. So, <laughs> Well, the great thing about podcasts, they're record recordable, retrievable, and you can get, get it whenever you want, Rich. Josh, let's go back, back to you. Um, and we talked before about the incredibly important role of commerce, your team, and for that matter, whether it's on a local basis like a Fargo Marhead Chamber of Commerce or uh, the Bismarck Mandan Development Organization, attracting talent and enterprise is really a competitive space nowadays. My first question for you is, you were, as was Rich, you were a private sector guy and very successful. What drew you to this opportunity? Because most people don't want to leave private to go into the public sector for a variety of reasons. What, what drew you to this specific opportunity, Commerce? 
Yeah, Mike, I think there's certain, I certainly was in the camp of, you know, uh, why, why would I ever go work for the government, whether that's state, local, federal, you know, that seemed just so far off the path from the entrepreneurial, you know, path that I had charted previously. But, and, and so I was pretty resistant to it early on, but then once you kind of pull back the curtain and you look and you see the scale at which you can influence things. That's what got me excited is no matter who you are in the private sector, you could be the CEO or chairman or, or some of a massive organization and the scale at which you can impact things at a, at a, you know, state national global scale is is minuscule compared to what you can do in government and so um it became more about excitement around the mission you know the department of commerce existing you know to essentially improve the quality of life for all citizens um been a north dakota you know super fan my entire life i believe we truly have something special here we have special people here and there's so much opportunity on the horizon to be kind of on the ground floor of facilitating those things and crafting the next generation of our economy and our workforce and our communities and you know our our recreational opportunities you know who wouldn't be excited about that and then on top of it to have a governor like Governor Burkham that we have that's so forward thinking and, you know, all things are possible and push the envelope and innovation. And um, it, it would the, the mission itself uh, sells itself. But if you don't have the right you know leadership above you that has kind of that same alignment, uh, I think you'd you'd bump into a ceiling. But here in North Dakota, we have this really unique point in time where there's all the right leadership and people at the table and all of this exciting opportunity right in front of us all at once. So, I mean, I think it's the best job in the world. I, I don't know how I could, you know, get excited doing anything else right now. <laughs> Before I go to Rich, you mentioned, yeah, Governor, thanks. Bur you mentioned Governor Burgum. The fact that you were a successful entrepreneur in the software tech business, and he, of course, was fabulously successful in pretty much similar space. Did that have some influence, the fact that you were kind of kindred spirits, if you will? You know, what's interesting is Doug is has really been my only boss I've ever had uh, in life. So I was... I was an intern at 17 years old for uh, Doug before he was Governor Burgum for the Kilburn Group and then for Arthur Ventures. Um, and that's where, you know, growing up, I never really fit in any of the right, um, you know, circles of, you know, you're going to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever it was. And then I got a taste of, you know, what it means to be an entrepreneur and i've always been a risk taker at heart and so that experience at a young age working for doug was was transformational in my life to what happened next and you know in terms of measuring success i mean governor burgum and i are 
orders of many magnitudes apart in terms of the success we had from a private sector standpoint. But um, after my time at Arthur Ventures, I went on and started a few companies. And then um, after one of them was acquired, I sat around and I said, well, what do I do with my life now? And that's when the opportunity to join the Department of Commerce, you know, came up. And so Governor Burgum and I have known each other for a long, long time. He's really the only true boss I've ever had. And uh, that's that's pretty exciting when you have someone like that that you get to just learn from. Every time I'm in a meeting with him, every time I'm in the same room with him, I I learn a lot. Um, And he's a I, I certainly owe a lot of where I am today to him and all the mentorship he's provided. Yeah, absolutely. And and Rich, you you're a real smart guy. Degree in mechanical engineering from the School of Mines, over three decades of project management experience, you know, primarily in in the energy space. What drew you to uh, make the decision to leave the private sector where you had a lot of success managing big projects. What what was attractive enough for you to say, I'm going to do this and join commerce? Well, Mike, like you said, I had spent about 30 years in the energy industry, uh, managing projects, big and small, uh, Stanton demolition, some, a lot of the stuff over at Spiritwood. Had a lot of opportunity um, when I worked with the energy companies. The most recent one was Great River Energy. Um, and it was just kind of a perfect storm. Um, when Great River Energy was was exiting the state uh, from Coal Creek. Uh, my division was being shut down as well. I had other opportunities. I could I could have moved within within that company. Uh, but like I said, it was just the perfect storm. I had worked closely with the Department of Commerce on several other projects uh, coming up to the, to the point to which I entered the Department of Commerce. And we'd worked on several things together. Um, I, I knew who they were. I knew what, what they were looking for on projects. And I had been deep into economic development, probably the last decade of my career with Great River Energy. And I really loved economic development. I had grown to love economic development. And so like I said, it's kind of the perfect storm. Uh, a position, I don't know, Josh, uh, opened up, was created, whatever we want to say, uh, at, at about the same time that I was planning my exit from, from my previous company. And so it worked out perfectly. Prior to this, you know, I was, I was managing projects in the economic development world and the you know, I, I, I like to say on one square mile of land over in Jamestown, now I've got 70,000 square miles of land to manage projects. And I, I, I love every minute of it. Uh, Josh and I kind of have an ongoing um, sort of argument. He thinks he has the best job in North Dakota. I think I have the best job in North Dakota. I think we've decided to call it one and two, but we still kind of tussle back and forth if he's number one or who's number two. But, but top two jobs in North Dakota right now are, are, are Josh and myself, I think. And it's so much fun. We're having so much fun down here in Washington right now. Just telling people how amazing North Dakota is. It's. I have to confess, I'm a Montana immigrant, but I married a North Dakotan, so I think I have legal status in the state. Um, and I'm not going back. I'm staying in North Dakota. It's the place to be right now. So, you said you're a Montana native. That's where I was born and raised. Beautiful place. Um, um, pretty good politics, but North Dakota's got them beat. From an economic well, case, development, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our podcast conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Montana. I've got family there, but North Dakota is the place to be for economic development right now. So I have a lot of friends in Montana and uh, they, you know, you know, they are a critically important player in many of the things that Absolutely. we're going to talk about during the course of our, our conversation today. 
And I've been Absolutely. really focused primarily on on energy, even though commerce has is a very complex uh, agency and department with very talented people. They provide work in uh, leadership and community services, economic development, finance, where that's where uh, Rich is the division chair, the global engagement, tourism and marketing and workforce. And the, the three biggest drivers of the economy of North Dakota are ag and natural resources. And any given day, ag might be number one or natural resources might be number one. Um, but they, I think right now, natural resources, energy are probably contributing more to the state budget than agriculture and then tourism. I, I think those are the top three. I could be wrong. Um, uh, as a res- and, and then there's also involvement in terms of ag in the Department of Commerce. So the commerce really touches all of it. But I wanted to focus on energy for just a variety of reasons. And there are three of them. One, and this is my personal opinion and my perspective. Well, I I don't know anyone that doesn't agree that being better stewards or the best stewards possible of our environment is what we need to be doing. I think the school is out, at least the jury is out, with how we're handling it on a national basis. We're, again, my opinion, we're almost kind of destroying the world's greatest economy in a race to be leading change and transition without what I would call a real solid strategy. And additionally, I don't kind of understand why we're doing it this way, because the we between China and India, which accounts for about 35% of the world population, um, and they have more coal fire plants than we do, they're not remotely close to being as conscious about providing clean energy as, as the United States. So I, I just really kind of don't get that where we're making all these changes dramatically uh, impacting negatively for the most part our economy in, in the race to do this. I just don't get it. And, um, and next, I think North Dakota for a long time has been leading how to be uh, really good stewards. There are so many examples we can think of. We'll talk about a couple of them today about here are ways to do that. And then third, the um, makes no sense to me that if it's kind of like you're in a van with uh, seven other people, if six of them aren't taking care of their hygiene the way you do, uh, the trip's going to be kind of long and uncomfortable. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're we're doing everything we can in terms of hygiene, but the other six people in the, in the van and the bus aren't doing the same thing. I see Josh is kind of chuckling at that. Maybe he thinks that's kind of funny, or maybe Mike's just gone on way, 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 way too long. So, Josh, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, under uh, your leadership, since you've been the head of commerce, there have been some incredibly important um projects that are have been launched and in very important relationships, many of them because of your uh, own initiative. Kind of bring us up to speed on just a couple of them. And I'm going to focus on BitZero and 
Sirilan and kind of how that all came about and what they are and what it means to North Dakota. Long question, I'm sorry. No, Mike, honestly, I'm I'm glad you asked. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about because I feel like it's it's laden with disinformation and you have politically charged agendas on either side of the equation arguing points versus stepping back and saying, what are the facts? What is science? What is physics? So to paint a little bit broader picture and build off of what you said, there has become this school of thought that the United States of America, or even say, look Canada into it as well. Canada's maybe even a step further. U.S. and Canada have said, we are going to change the world via clean energy development. Okay. And that's this absolute mandate that's been put out there. Well, here's the challenge with that. Uh, to your point earlier, we could decommission every coal-fired power plant in the United States and Canada. In the first six months of last year, China permitted 46 new coal plants. At a global stage, it means nothing. That's not a popular statement to make in, in Washington, D.C., but it's the reality. Here's the other thing. We have fixated on climate change. And I think that that's a buzzword, but I think it's a strategic buzzword because in some cases we're destroying the environment in an effort to save the climate. Now, what is uh, what does that mean? How are those different things? One, you know, EVs, um, you know, Tesla's other other. Uh, vehicles like that. The raw materials that go into that, the lithium, the nickel, the cobalt, all of those things that are being mined in Africa is destroying the environment and is absolutely terrible for the planet, but it's better for the climate. So we're compromising the environment on behalf of the climate. Again, you could make the case, wind turbines kill Eagles, condors, you know, big, you know, birds, you know, house cats kill billions of birds a year, but they're killing sparrows, not eagles. Um, and then solar also takes up a massive footprint on the earth. So again, not that solar is bad, not that wind is bad, not that EVs are bad, but I think we're only telling half the story when we're saying we're going to pursue climate change but when we work downstream from that, we say, okay, these things don't emit carbon, but are they destroying the environment while preserving the climate? Then we look at a standard of living argument and saying, okay, if we want to transition to all renewables, we're okay with the impact of the environment and the trade-off with the climate. We're okay with all of that. Well, what if going to 100% renewables means that your electricity bill at your house is five times what it is today. Are you still on board with that plan? I'm not so sure everyone would be. Or the reality of it is renewables are intermittent. In the MISO grid, which is where we sit, um, over the last several years on average, renewables have accounted for power 39% of the time. What business or homeowner or anyone is willing to say, 
you know what, in the effort for climate change, I'm willing to compromise the environment. I'm willing to pay a multiples more for that same electron. And I'm willing to only have access to electricity 39% of the time. When you package all of that together, I think the number of people still standing in the camp of saying, we need to pursue this absolutism of climate change is almost down to zero. So what North Dakota has said and what, you know, my stance has been, has been, you know what, I'm not an elected official. I'm not voted in. I'm appointed by the governor as a member of his cabinet. So I'm going to lean into what may be a politically unpopular statement of saying, you know what, fossil fuels are the future alongside renewables. And maybe we get to this place where everyone wants to be, which is 100% renewables and the climate is great and, and all that. Everyone wants to get there. But we can't just say on this date, we're not going to have CO2 anymore and the climate's going to be great and everything's going to be okay. Physics says that's not possible. We need a transition. So as a state, we've said, okay, are fossil fuels bad or is CO2 bad? Because if CO2 is bad, we can solve for that with carbon capture and sequestration um, with technology that exists and is functioning in North Dakota today. So is reliable, affordable baseload power that's derived from natural gas or coal still bad if it doesn't have a CO2 consequence? That's a question that I think we need to ask ourselves as part of the transition. Can we decarbonize fossil fuels and have that as a piece of the of the puzzle for the future of the economy. So I think North Dakota taking a common sense and physics and science driven viewpoint to say, listen, we are blessed with tremendous natural resources, whether it's lignite coal, whether it's wind, whether it is oil and gas, we're gonna lean into a all the above approach. And we're gonna say, you know what, we're open for business. We all wanna get to the same goal, but we believe as North Dakota and as Josh Teigen and as the Department of Commerce that fossil fuels are a piece of that for the foreseeable future. So I think that's how we've been able to attract a lot of this investment is that resonates with shareholders, with companies, with politicians as well that have said, you know what, maybe this idealistic picture that we all want to get to, maybe that timeline and the process are a little different than we originally envisioned. And I have to give Rich a lot of credit because, listen, I'm just a lowly finance guy, uh, maybe an average sales guy, um, certainly not an energy expert. But to have someone like Rich or other people from our team that have spent an entire career in the energy industry that can feed me information to say, here are the facts, and then I can use that as a way to kind of craft where we want to go as a state and as a Department of Commerce. Hey, thanks, Josh. I'm going to come back to you in a minute and ask about Sirilon uh, gas to liquids and bit zero. But since you teed up Rich, I want to go to Rich. Rich, you were, uh, again, three decades project management, you know, in the energy sector. Clearly, you had 
enough involvement in project where you saw changes, real significant changes in technology that improved um, or minimized the carbon footprint, if you will. That that background that you have, how does that apply to what you're doing now for commerce? And if you could share with us just one of the improvements that you saw during your career with Great River or, or elsewhere, that is a good example of how we can do things without regulation. It was really more a function of private sector saying, this is what we need to do, this is our responsibility, and this is just innovation at its best, if you will, Rich. Absolutely, Mike. Teed uh, me up perfectly here. Uh, like I said, I, I work for, I've worked for two, three, three big companies in the power industry, and I, I saw lots of different technology, um, some in the environmental sphere, some in the safety sphere, a lot of different areas. Um, one of the most amazing policies that we have in North Dakota too, that's, that's dictated by Governor Burgum is innovation over regulation. Um, that, that is the most amazing opportunity in North Dakota. We're not going to, to hit people with the stick. We're going we're gonna to show them the carrot. Um, industries are, are encouraged to work towards these goals, whatever they are. Um, right, now, right now, the goal is, is, is carbon neutrality. Um, do I do I tax carbon? Do I do I uh, put fees on carbon emission, or or do I incentivize and, and 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 work with companies to get to a point where they can meet that goal? That's exactly what we're doing in North Dakota. I've seen that <clears throat> most of the rest of my career was was in Wyoming, Utah, North Dakota. So a very distinct band of states there that have similar policy, right? Um, and and we had similar rules there. I've seen uh, one of the first. When I first started in the in the energy industry, um, uh, um, SO2, uh, sulfur dioxide, was was the the big thing that everybody's building scrubbers in order to lower their SO2 footprint. Well, guess what? They did that. They did that in over and over and over again with technology. Uh, they retrofitted old plants. They put scrubbers on plants. In fact, my job, the reason I was hired into North Dakota, was to build a scrubber on a plant in North Dakota. Um, so that technology grew. In an energy industry that was allowed to flourish, um, if you if you give the challenge to industry to manage their carbon dioxide footprint, they will. They are. It's happening right now. Um, but just just stay out of the way. Let it happen. Don't tax it. Don't penalize not doing it. Incentivize doing the right thing. And that's what's happening. Um, North Dakota is is positioned right now with their geological formations under the state. In an unprecedented look, in an unprecedented spot in in history, to take advantage of the, these federal mandates that are in place, we're actually able to take advantage of the backside of the federal mandate with all of these uh, opportunities to cash in on on sequestering CO two, like Josh was talking about. Uh, amazing time to be in North Dakota because we we don't have somebody beating us into submission. We have somebody encouraging us and, and allowing and allowing innovation to occur. Um, another thing that we did, I think it started a decade ago, Josh, or more, um, is the, is the, is the uh, Class 6 primacy. What primacy means is that the North Dakota Department of Environmental Resources can actually permit these CO2 wells in-state with no input from, from the EPA or, or no slowdown from the EPA. We can come to market. We can go from an application to an ap application submitted to an application in hand in far less than a year. We were just talking to a project in the eastern United States who's flirting with coming to North Dakota. 
their timeline is between three and four years. When I've got a a a timeline on on the on the cash flow of twelve years, they're going to eat up a third of their their uh, their opportunity time waiting for a permit. We can have the permit in their hands before they can get the plant built in North Dakota. That's what's amazing about working in North Dakota right now. So wow, wow. You, you know, the to Josh, you 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 mentioned rich um, carbon credits. And now I'm going to be the first to admit, I don't know a lot about them, but every time I hear somebody talk about their use of their private jet to travel around the world, especially those that talk about climate change, they're in their private jet all the time. And they say, well, you know, I buy carbon credits. It reminds me, as a kid, I grew up a Catholic and we'd go to confession and you'd confess this one sin. And then you'd go back the next week, and it's the same sin again. And the priest was always nice enough not to say, oh, it's you again, seminary or whatever. But my, my, but my point is, it, it just seems kind of that kind of analogy. And I don't want to offend all my Catholic friends or people that use these carbon tax credits, but that's just kind of what I think of. Well, I'm flying over there today for this climate thing in my private jet, and I bought some carbon tax credits, and uh, I'm going to do it again the next week. So, Josh, back to back to bit zero and uh, Sirion, uh, walk us through how those significant projects, and you can go into whatever detail you want, how they came to North Dakota and what they what they potentially mean for our role leading the way, if you will, by example for others. Yeah, I'm going to start with the Ceralon project. Ceralon project is one of the largest projects that North Dakota has ever had. Um, it's north of $6 billion now, and it's going to take natural gas and convert it to different products. Um, North Dakota as a state is the most reliant state in the nation on exports. So whether that's energy, agriculture, commodities, a variety of things, that's great. That means we're taking a lot of other people's money and bringing it into the state. Um, but it also leaves us highly susceptible to commodity price swings. When crop prices are high, oil and gas prices are high, things are good. When those things are low, things are not good. We need to, just like you would diversify your investment portfolio, we need to diversify the state's investment portfolio and our balance sheet and say, we need in-state processing. So when I came to Commerce, you know, we said, we're going to develop value-added agriculture, value-added energy. That means instead of a soybean coming out of the field and going somewhere else to be processed, we're going to process it here and we're going to send those finished goods out at a much higher value. Because we have processing, we're now insulated against uh, commodity price swings. We used to have zero soybean processing in the state. Today, we have two facilities under construction and the third one being planned, which will essentially take almost all of our soybean production. Now, we have the same issue on the energy side, especially when it comes to natural gas. Today, we produce about 1.1 million barrels a day of oil and 3 billion cubic feet a day of natural gas. We obviously can't consume a fraction of that as the you know state of 750,000 roughly people that we are. 
Um, so that gets exported. Well, if our oil production remains the same, our gas production is going to go from 3 billion cubic feet a day to 5 billion cubic feet a day. Um, and the reason for that is as oil wells mature, more gas comes out of the hold per barrel of oil. Well, it's difficult to build a pipeline right now. It's nearly impossible, um, especially across different states. So we have three options. One is build a pipeline, very difficult. Two is build downstream consumption uh, or processing within the state. Or three, curtail oil production. Well, no one wants to do number three. No one can do number one. And so we're left with number two. We need downstream you know, processing. So we start with this macro strategy of here's what we need to do in order to further the state's economy. And then we back ourselves into what needs to happen to make a, the biggest difference there. And downstream natural gas processing was the number one objective. We found this Serilon project, which is going to take half a billion cubic feet a day of natural gas and turn it into products like um, base oils. Base oils are what's used to produce high-performance synthetic lubricants, your penzoils, casseroles, you know, things like that, um, as well as a variety of other products. Well, Serilon had been working with Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana to put a project like this together for two years. We found out about it and we said, can we pitch North Dakota? They said, you can. You have two weeks to catch these three other states and what we've done in two years. And to the team's credit at Commerce, this, this wasn't wasn't me. Um, we put together a compelling enough package. They said, we'll take a look at it. And fast forward a couple of months, they committed to North Dakota. And it will be one of the most transformational projects in terms of improving the lives and the economic opportunity for just about every citizen in the state of North Dakota that we've ever seen. And that's what makes what we do at Commerce so much fun. So we can say, here's a challenge. I'm going to go out, find a solution using tools that we have at our disposal. And people in Fargo may never, you know, know the Serilon name, may never hear of it, may never go see the facility out in Western North Dakota, but that facility will change their life. It will impact every single person's life because of the economic opportunity and stability it provides the state. So that's what gets me excited. Um, you know, Rich mentioned a couple of times the governor announced North Dakota will be the first carbon neutral state by 2030. Well, how are we going to get there? No regulation. It's all going to be on innovation. Well, I heard of Bit Zero that said we're going to build data centers and we're going to do it in a different way than anyone else has done before. Everyone else is just frantically searching for the cheapest power they can find. Um, and it was the Wild West. And Bit Zero said, we want to do it different. We want to do it with a, a approach of um, climate you know, stability and do it without you know, carbon emissions. But also, we want to be a world-class conventional data center, not just one that mines Bitcoin. And so that's the difference. When commerce is looking at projects, it's not a We'll take anything we can get. And so what fits into an overall strategic picture for us 
And if we find that strategic alignment between you know, government and private sector companies, that's when special things really start to happen in terms of saying, okay, this is going to be a partnership where this private entity and the state of North Dakota are going to go towards the same goal in a similar time frame, and we're going to do it together as partners. Rich, I'm going to ask you a question in a second. Uh, Josh, thanks for the uh, explanation. Cheryl, I'm also will be producing clean jet fuel. I, I might not be saying that correctly, but that's the kind of jet fuel that people can then use to fly around the world to talk about climate change, and they don't have to worry about buying, you know, carbon credits because they're using the jet clean jet fuel produced in North Dakota, right? That's that's correct, Mike. Also, I want to mention one other thing: Ceralon will produce diesel fuel that's actually biodegradable so if you spill it on the ground it will biodegrade within two weeks same thing you can pour it into water and it's non-toxic and will biodegrade within two weeks the number one cost input cost for our coal mines in the state is diesel so here we can take natural gas which we need processing of turn it into a non-toxic biodegradable diesel product, which we can sell to our coal mines to reduce their costs and their climate footprint. And we can do it all while improving economic opportunity for North Dakota citizens and, and state of North Dakota tax revenues, and also the, the jet fuel as well. Awesome. Rich, you're, you're, you're on a recruiting trip. Let me put it that way. You're looking for um, leaders of industry that are interested in planting a flag somewhere. When you're um, on the road, in conferences, in meetings, representing North Dakota, what typically is the first thing people ask you after you've kind of made your pitch, if you will, what's typically the first thing they ask you about North Dakota and why they should locate their operation or relocate to North Dakota? Well, Mike, after the uh, generic weather question, we, we move on to real questions. Um, <laughs> geez, it's cold in North Dakota. We're like, no, it's a it's a dry cold, so it's fine. Um, but we moved beyond that, and right now, the last we, I've been at this conference for the last two years, most of the companies that are here that are shopping to build big industrial facilities are shopping for opportunities to sequester carbon dioxide. That's one of their that's one of their driving factors is they they have to be able to show that their process is at least low low carbon, if not carbon neutral. And North Dakota being positioned so perfectly can offer that time and time again. The next big question is energy, energy costs, energy reliability. And we have that as well without any issues whatsoever. Uh, we're, a, we're an energy rich state. Um, a lot of agricultural questions come too. Um, and then one of the questions that comes up that we're working hard with other, our other division, our workforce division is do we have the workforce to support it? And I'm going to, I'm going to leave that, uh, that uh, question for Josh, but I know we're working hard to solve that question. That we need the workforce as well. So carbon, carbon's number one, and then uh, energy is a close second, and then 
usually follow with what do you have the workforce to to handle these projects so you know rich i i thank you i i've got to think that the states where energy assets and resources are, are are important you know whether it's oklahoma texas new mexico louisiana montana i would think most of them have some of the same struggles we do with the you know the numbers of talent that that we're all kind of looking for so i i would think that that isn't necessarily a weakness for us because it it i'm i'm assuming that's pretty standard in the other states as well let me ask you this question with kind of what you know piggybacking on what i just said there are very many states that are as robust in terms of the inventory assets that we have when it comes to natural resources and energy. I I would think that the companies that are, are looking for that uh, for their next move, it's pretty hard to stack up against us. I would think. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, Josh talked about it previously, but. The speed of which we can bring businesses up and get them running, uh, we, we we can beat almost any state in the union right now. That's that's the biggest thing right now. Um, we you know we've got a lot of lot in common with the states you described before. Energy rich, a lot of them are ag rich, but we can put projects together quicker than a lot of other states. Um, one of the big reasons in when we go carbon is the primacy um, issue. You know we can put together a primacy or I'm sorry a class six permit in in, in months instead of years. Um, other permitting processes also are, 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 are much quicker through, through our, our, our various agencies. And the other thing that, that really amazes people that, and, and you can only show them this, you can't tell them about it because they don't believe you is the access to, um, agencies and officials. Um, we, we, we did a couple meetings during the state legislative session and we encouraged the companies that wanted to meet with very, you know, various divisions. We encourage them to, we would meet up at the state capitol and we'd encourage them to come about an hour early and we would go spend an hour in the cafeteria. And we would meet dozens of legislators, agency leaders, people we needed to talk to by merely sitting down and having a cup of coffee. And that's another huge advantage in North Dakota is, is the accessibility to, to leadership in North Dakota. And that makes a huge difference. And very, very few other states have that to offer. So. Yeah. With regards to the weather, by the way, I have plenty of friends that head south to Arizona for the winter, but there is a specific clock in terms of yeah. weather where they say, I got to get out of here because it's going to get hot. It's going to get hot for a long time. And there's only so many articles of clothing you can take off versus in the winter where it's a little cooler, you can comfortably dress the occasion you can't always do that when it's 115 degrees um and when i I know it's a dry heat josh with regards to the talent attraction katie does such a great job in the workforce uh division for for commerce um kind of share with us how we go about that in the state of north dakota to find people that have an interest um they're looking period but and then have an interest in north dakota yeah, and so Mike, the Department of Commerce really gets to own four strategies for the state. 
economic development, workforce development, community development, and tourism development. And those four things all fit together and work together in harmony to enhance one another. You can't really have one piece without the other three, and they don't work you know, if, if they're not working together. So why I share that is workforce is a huge challenge that we have as a state. So some people may say, why is Rich out there in Washington, D.C., trying to get more companies to move to North Dakota, invest in North Dakota when we don't have enough workers for, you know, here and now? And the answer is a great way to backdoor workforce development is economic development. Getting world-class companies to come and invest here, getting them to relocate staff here, and those staff have family members who also want to work. And we can't take our foot off the gas in terms of providing economic opportunity for people because there will come a, a, a time and place where the global economic outlook doesn't look good. And when that happens, people move to where the jobs are. If the jobs are in North Dakota, we're going to be positioned so well to ride that wave of prosperity where other states that are saying, hold on, we don't want to grow. We don't want projects. We don't want new investment. They're going to struggle because when that cyclical nature of supply and demand, which is undefeated through the course of history, turns downwards, North Dakota is positioned extremely well. And that's because of the economic development efforts we have. In addition, we have a community development team that goes in and as part of the governor's Main Street initiative says, what do we need to do to make our communities healthy, vibrant communities that people want to live in? Maybe we're trying to attract remote workers that work in Silicon Valley or work you know, in, in the Northeast, but they live in North Dakota and they live in rural North Dakota because they want to. Um, that's a tremendous opportunity as well. And then the quality of life piece with tourism destinations and, and things like that. I think that's a big opportunity that we have in front of us. So that's how all of these things start to work together to say, here's how we attract workers. And then our tourism department is also the state's marketing team. So we're getting in front of people saying, visit North Dakota. We know if someone visits here first, the likelihood that they move here is, is way higher than if they've never been here. And that's not a shocking statistic because I don't know many people that pick up and move somewhere that they've never been. The best place to get people exposed to the economic opportunity, the quality of life, you know, all of that that we have here is to come visit for a tourist reason. Um, and then the workforce team is really the concierge service that works with communities and works with individuals that says, North Dakota is open for business. We want you to move here. We want you to bring your families. We want you to tell your friends. And so we've stood up a campaign called Find the Good Life. Um, and it's a portal that essentially connects people that are you know, looking for a new community, a new place to live, a new job, whatever it may be, with a community champion somewhere in North Dakota. And it's a one-on-one -on -one, um, recruitment effort to say, we want people to move here. We have jobs here. We have a great quality of life. We have a favorable you know, tax and regulatory environment. We believe you know, the freedoms that exist in North Dakota are second to none. And so that's how 
it's not really just the workforce development team. It's not just the economic development team. It's all four of those pillars all working together. And the better each one does its job, the better um, the benefits that can be uh, reaped by some of those other divisions. So we take an all the above approach for energy, like we talked about earlier. We take an all the above approach for workforce development as well. Thank you, Josh. Rich, I need to apologize. Since we've been talking, I'm making it sound like the only thing you work on is something in the energy space. And that's just not true. Your division and team work on uh, a variety of other project types, one of them being in the autonomous uh, transportation space. That kind of got launched long before any of us were involved with commerce, by the way, 17, 18 years ago through the efforts of then Governor Holvin, et cetera, et cetera. But as of late, the past you know four to five years, Grand Farm is just knocking it out of the park. And you work with autonomous systems. Kind of walk us through with kind of how you see the autonomous systems in North Dakota, in this case, maybe Grand Farm, helping us move to that next level of involvement with regards to attracting talent um, for those types those types of projects. Absolutely, absolutely, Mike. Um, one of the one of the amazing things too is that forever, well, not forever, but for for a long time, uh, we, we we thought about UAS, which is very important uh, on uncrewed, I guess, uncrewed aerial systems, you know, drones and things like that. But now we're we're really wrapping our arms around the entire autonomy concept. Um, tractors, uh, other vehicles, uh, you know, Teslas drive themselves now for the most part, right? Um, we're getting to that. We're getting to that point in time where that's going to become a reality around the around the world, around the country. And North Dakota is really embracing that right now and 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 advancing that technology right now, um, like like no other state. Um, we we've, we're using the the entities like Grand Sky and Grand Farm to do the research and to understand the. The, the roadblocks and, and the issues that might occur there and we're understanding them and we're solving them right now in real time so that when it's time and, and the the entities are ready to go fully autonomous north dakota is going to be the place to do it um far, farming is another great example of autonomy i mean a lot of those vehicles that are out there doing the farm work now have a fairly autonomous um operation mode right now they're getting to the point where they can become fully autonomous they're not that far away um it sounds like science fiction, but I'm sitting here in Washington, D.C. on my cell phone talking to you on a podcast 10 years ago. I don't think that would have happened either. So it's happening fast and it's happening fast in North Dakota. And that's that's the exciting thing right now is technology is booming in North Dakota from, from the autonomy standpoint. So, Well, I'll tell you what, and you could, you can probably relate to this even better than than I, Rich, coming from Montana, a state that's, I don't know, what, three times the size of North Dakota, something like that. As a North Dakotan that has spent way too much time driving from Bismarck to Fargo or Fargo to Williston or you name it, I can't wait for completely autonomous transportation in my car. Um, I could care less if it's electric or not. I just can't wait um, because there are better things to do with my time than spend three or four or five hours just driving 
yes, I can listen to my podcast or I can listen to something else. I can listen to Mike Rowe. I can listen to a book on tape. But I would much rather be doing something else other than focusing on driving. So whatever you can do, Rich, to speed that up with your group, I would sure appreciate that. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, Mike. It's it's not me. It's it's the other geniuses that are doing it all. I I just have the privilege of of, of working with them. Um, Brian Opp is our, our is our autonomy specialist within within commerce, and he's he's a rock star. He knows what he's doing, and he's working with all the folks at Grand Grand Sky and and uh, the test site and everything else. And he he's the he's the integrator there. But but thankfully, Brian Brian keeps me up to date very well. So. <laughs> Well, and Mike, too, I think the legislature deserves a lot of credit as well. You know, they took a leap of faith. You know, there's an executive order signed 10 years ago to create, you know, what uh, all of the UAS activities that exist today are. Um, But the legislature has put, you know, over $100 million into saying North Dakota is going to plant the flag and lead the autonomous, you know, system space. And that's, I think, what's so great about North Dakota is we can have you know, someone, whether it's a governor, a legislator, someone with a vision, and then to get both the executive and legislative branches on board to say, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's, let's do that. Let's take our resources that we have and diversify our economy. So uh, the, the legislators in North Dakota deserve a lot of credit. They're basically volunteers and they're, they have a huge task in front of them. Um, and we get to reap a lot of the benefits of the policy and appropriation decisions that they've made in decades prior to us to set the stage for you know what we have today. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Josh. Another great example uh, is the Clean Sustainable Energy Authority. The you know it's, it, it's interesting because people that don't understand North Dakota that might be policymakers in D.C that look at North Dakota and from their from their very narrow understanding of North Dakota, they think we, it's an awful state. They have oil, they flare gas, they have coal, they have cows that fart. And I know, that, I know that's not the word they use over there, it's flatulence. But they have really no idea of the undercurrent of leadership in the state that is aggressively working to, uh, again, enable us to be a great leader. The the Clean Sustainable Energy Authority is one of those. Were it not for that, some of the projects you mentioned earlier, we might not have them, frankly. And uh, I I think I didn't follow the session as close as I should have, but I think we repopulated that with money again, right? And it's- We did, yeah. Good. So- Here's a question for, 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 I'll start with you, Rich. We often use, um, we're all of the above state. And we've been saying that for a long time. Uh, previous governors, previous, uh, you know, policymakers that we send to Washington, the delegation. Um, and for the longest time, the one word you could never throw into the mix was nuclear because of all the images people had of nuclear. Well, now, because of small modular reactors, I call them small nuclear reactors, that's now in the mix um, just about everywhere. And I'm assuming that's in the mix somewhere in North Dakota as well. So without revealing anything that you can't, 
excuse me, has that been a, a point of discussion for you and your group as well, Rich? Well, Mike, I want to know where you get your show prep because, wow, you're you're reading our notes. Um, but yes, <laughs> actually, as we speak right now, I'm in Washington, D.C. I wanted to travel down to Atlanta to talk about, to be at a conference to discuss those small nuclear reactors that you're talking about. But thankfully, I'm surrounded by geniuses and Tom Oakland, our energy <laughs> energy and economic coordination office manager, is down there right now learning what he can learn about the, that very thing. Um, where does that lie in North Dakota's future? I have no idea. But it it has to be on the table to discuss that. Um, it's a viable energy source that's getting better and better every year. The safety is getting better. The Everything there is about it is getting better. And it has to be on the table. If we truly want to be a, an all of the above state, which I believe we are, it, it's, it's going to come into the mix. Um, Next year, probably not. Within 10 years, maybe. Um, it, it's it's got to be at least considered so we understand what it's going to take to participate. And like I said, our energy office manager is down there right now learning everything he can about it so that we can make some educated decisions and help educate some other folks in the state about that technology. So, so. No, thank you. <clears throat> well, God, we're getting kind of close to wrapping this up. So I'm going to ask, I normally ask a magic wand kind of question. Josh is familiar with that. You might not be rich, but I'm going to change it up just a little bit. And I'll start with you, Josh. Josh, what of all the things people should know about the Department of Commerce and its role in our futures, frankly, what what's the one thing you really want people to know about the Department of Commerce? You know, Mike, I think it comes back to kind of the statement I made earlier. You know, economic development gets a lot of those are the headlines that you see. Um, you know, workforce is something that you know people talk about all the time. Now it's the latest you know buzzword. Um, the community development team and that mission's relatively new with you know Governor Burgum's Main Street Initiative. But I think it's really how all of those strategies fit together and work together, and owning those four strategies that I talked about earlier, we're also kind of the tip of the spear, whether you're a prospective, you know, person looking to relocate to the state or whether you're a prospective business, we're not the end all be all, but we're usually the first point of contact um, for either uh, attracting talent and attracting capital and then we coordinate and collaborate with our partners at the Department of Environmental Quality or the Department of Transporta Transportation or the Bank of North Dakota, whoever it may be. And I think a lot of people, you know, look at a Department of Commerce and they say, well, it's a, you know, big bureaucratic government organization. We're a really small team that is really run like a startup entrepreneurial business that just says, we're here to improve the lives of the citizens. We're here to do it as lean as possible and be the best stewards of taxpayer dollars that we can be. And I think that's something that, you know, the, the general population maybe doesn't see or understand is just the quality of the people that show up to work every day 
that are there because they have a passion for the state that they live in. And I think that's what is really unique and and, and really cool and something that I, I just want everyone to know. Thank you, Josh. Rich, I have a, a kind of a different question for you as someone that has, again, um, graduate of the School of Mines, you have your master's of business administration and project management from the University of Mary, adjunct professor. So you're really used to uh, leading in projects, leading in the classroom, helping educate and inform. And then you have this incredible, you know, three decade long history in the energy industry. When it comes to this just knockdown, drag out, cacophonous, you know, blood sport discussion of climate change and global warming and all of this with regards to energy, especially fossil fuels. What's the one thing you want people to know about the types of conversation we should really have when it comes to a better environment? Well, well, Mike, like you said, I've been around the energy industry for 30 plus years. Um, I don't want to live in a world that is dirty, air is hard to breathe, water is not drinkable, etc. Um, icebergs are melting. I don't want to live in that world. And I don't want my kids to live in that world. I don't want my grandkids, don't have any, yet, but I don't want that. I don't want them to live in that world either. But if we, we can get to a point and North Dakota is, is doing it right now. They're, they're proving it. Go, go to Richardson, North Dakota. We're capturing CO2. Uh, Gerald Bachmeyer is capturing CO2 at his plant and, and pumping it underground. We're, we're performing not because the government told us to do it. We're performing because it's the right thing to do. And there's financial incentive to do it as well. It's economically viable. And that's what North Dakota is leading is, is how to do it in an economically viable way. Um, we're not going to bankrupt industries um, to enforce policies. That's, that's where we're at right now. Um, it's, it's the whole you know, innovation over regulation. We're not going to regulate companies out of business. We're going to encourage them to, to do what's right and to, and to follow their, you know, incentive packages and things like that. Now we don't have to, we don't have to get on e either. We don't have to be on either team. We don't have to say climate change is real. Climate change isn't real. That's not, that doesn't matter. The rules are being passed that we have to follow. Just, just get out of our way and let us figure out ways to follow them. And we will do it. And North Dakota is leading that way with, with our partners in industry and we, we'll get her done. We'll get it done. So just, mm -hmm understand that we're, we have that in our, we're, we're passionate about that. So. Hey guys, thank you so much. I, I learned a lot I, and I also appreciate so much what you're doing, what, what you're doing with your team. And it is a small team, Josh, is absolutely critically important. These, these projects and uh, the other work that you're doing with regards to workforce and et cetera, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't accidentally happen. It has to be a part of a strategy. It takes uh, a, a lot of thoughtful people that are passionate about their work and passionate about where they live, work and play because it, it doesn't happen on its own. And as I open this up, the world of economic development and opportunities and projects is very, very competitive. And North Dakota is blessed to have 
your leadership and all of your team members involved because it's working. So thank you so much for taking time to, to join me. I appreciate you so much. And we'll have to do this again another time. And Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.